Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Anger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, we discuss confidently handling holiday gatherings with blindness or low vision. And our guest is author Hannah Fairbairn. Welcome to the show, Hannah. So great to have you. Hello. I'm delighted to be here. And uh, this is not your first time on the show, so welcome back. Uh, But for those of you who don't know Hannah, we'll just get a quick introduction and uh, tell us a bit about about yourself. I was born with cataracts, you know, some some babies are. And uh, when I grew up, there was no support at school, absolutely none, except I sat in the front row. And then when I was 33, my good retina detached and it couldn't be fixed back and then my other one started to detach so I had this giant loss of sight at 33 and ended up legally blind with just a little bit of vision so I was already a consumer of services legally blind and I was the parent of a kid and then I became a teacher at the Carroll Center for the Blind teaching personal management well to start with that when I arrived, that was about cooking and laundry and grooming and shopping. But a couple of our clients came to me and said, you know, one aspect of personal management is how to interact with sighted people on the street, in stores, at doctor's offices, and of course, at parties and gatherings. And this was so obviously true. So we began to create little classes, little groups and big groups discussing how to deal with this. And we called them interpersonal skills. And we really role played and discussed all the obvious difficulties that people have, people with low vision and blindness or blindness have in interacting. I have to say it, we, would, we would have some really funny times as well as very emotional times. 18 years after I began there, I retired to write my book, When You Can't Believe Your Eyes. And of course, the second half of it is all about self-advocacy and a great deal of it about going to gatherings of all kinds. So I'm delighted to be here. That's fantastic, because I know that it's something that we all struggle with you know, as we approach the fall and winter holidays, as we're recording this, it's uh, there are gatherings all the time and it's supposed to be a time of celebration. But a lot of people approach it with this sense of trepidation because it feels like there are so many pitfalls to navigate if you're trying to figure out how to communicate effectively, uh, how to, again, just get through these social situations and hopefully have a good time along the way. So I'm hoping that we can talk about just some of the scenarios that people often encounter as they're going to a social gathering and just mention a few scenarios and then give some tips and tricks for how to alleviate the the stress and the dread that can come with figuring out what to do in these situations. So the first question that I have is about when gatherings are in a different environment. So you're not at home, you're going somewhere that uh, isn't so familiar to you. 
Are there things that you do ahead of time to kind of prepare for success? And then is that different depending on the size of the gathering that you're going to? Yes, it's very different. And the bigger the gathering, the more you have to prepare ahead. That's the first thing to understand uh, because the bigger the gathering, the more visual communication gets. People make eye contact, they wave, they smile, you know, they kind of point to where they're going to meet. It's all about seeing. And of course, we can't do that. So uh, with a big gathering, you have to prepare. And the less sight you're left with, the more you have to prepare. And really, with no sight, you have to prepare like crazy. And this is true. So first, you have to decide whether it's worth going to the event because of all the preparation. And I wanted to encourage people to go, especially after the pandemic. You know, we're all a bit out of practice. So what you do is you're going to call, first of all, the host or the place where it's going to be. And you're going to get lots of basic information. Uh, about the type of event, where it's going to be held, uh, whether it's a sit-down meal or a buffet, what other people will be wearing, and then perhaps most important of all, who else is coming? Because if you have some friends on the guest list, then that's your next step, to call a friend or two, get yourself a ride if you're not already going with someone, and then arrange to meet one or two friends at the event, have someone you're going to eat the meal with and um, arrange to have a good catch-up chat with another friend. It makes a huge difference that you've prepared ahead. So that's big events. And I should say that informal events, events where people stand and move around, are more difficult than ones where there's a seating plan, and a reception line. So those are the big gatherings. A small gathering, six, eight, ten people seated around the table, is what almost anybody with vision loss prefers. Because you know the way, of course, at a casual event, a standing event, people turn their backs, walk away at a table, Everybody's seated. The table itself provides a structure for the event. You might not have thought of this, but it's true. And people mostly stay in the same seat. They don't turn their backs. You find out where people are seated. And then you can, you know, really relax and have a pretty good time. While at a big event, it's much more like work. You know, you go because it's good for you but it's work. Right. You've alluded already to the fact that there are different types of gatherings. You know, there are small gatherings and large gatherings and kind of there are different expectations and different ways that you plan for those things. How does it differ if you are getting ready for a gathering with family that maybe you have some history with, you already know at least some of the people, and if you're getting ready for a gathering where maybe you do know a couple of people, but primarily it's people that you don't know well? Well, I think the difference is in expectations because we do often think that 
uh, gathering with family, perhaps family that you don't see often, who don't know much about your vision impairment or blindness, is actually generally more difficult, more painful, because you yourself, it may bring up your grief because, you know, your cousin or your whoever, that you used to be able to see clearly and sort of enjoy his funny faces or something. Now it's a blur or you can't even tell where he is. And that can be painful right there. But also people who you don't see much and who are uncomfortable with vision loss can even, I'm afraid, quite often do make what they think are jokey remarks or insensitive remarks about your vision loss. And when it comes from somebody that you value, that you've always liked, or even people you don't like, it can cut really deep. So I do think when you're fairly new to vision loss, you want to make sure that you have a kind of a protector at the event. Don't just go by your own self thinking, oh, I know them all, it'll be fine. It actually may be quite not fine. And so it's good to line up one particular you know, sister or brother or whatever, who's going to look after you at the event. Because people might not think of giving you a plate of food or finding you a drink. So you do need support. And then in time, you'll get more comfortable. And hopefully your family will learn too about vision loss. You'll teach them and it will all get more comfortable. But to begin with, it can be really a shock. When you go to an event where you don't know anyone very well, this is a better place to experiment with. And if you're ready for it, saying something about your vision loss, you're going to keep it really, really short and not medical. If you're up for it, you could just say, I'm having a bit of trouble with my eyes these days or can't see much in this light. You know, keep it really simple. If you go with a companion, of course, it's easier, but people do tend to talk to the person they're making eye contact with. So you might even do better sort of going off by yourself for a bit or even the whole thing and making sure that a member of staff or whoever it is, maybe you can see it for yourself, puts you beside the refreshments or the bar where there's plenty of circulation. And then just start to chat to someone who seems to be by him or herself. Again, you could say something about your vision or not. You know, it's a very difficult decision to make to say something about your vision. Feels like you're leaving ordinary life, even when you say very little. And maybe the person will offer to get you a drink. If you can leave that event having had pleasant conversations, I consider that a big success. You've laid some groundwork for yourself. And maybe it depends on what your general personality is as to the kinds of strategies that are going to work for you. And, you know, something that feels very true to you. And I guess having this group of strategies in your back pocket, so to speak, for how to deal with different situations means that you're having to do less thinking on your feet, which uh, for some of us can be a really good thing just to have a plan ahead of time. 
Yes. The more you can think through the gathering that you're going to go to, think what might happen, think how you will want to respond, and then having, as you say, various strategies in your back pocket that you've thought through and really know what you can cope with and what you can't, the more successful you will feel at the end, the more you'll feel, wow, I did it. Exactly. And that's what you hope for. You know, there are a few things that feel universal, some struggles that are very basic elements of communication that can be really difficult if you're lacking that visual aspect. So for these things, it would help to have some tips on how to navigate them. And uh, I had to chuckle as we were putting this list together of, of, you know, things that happen. And I was thinking, yes, I've had all of these happen and more than once. And so any strategy is helpful. Uh, So we'll just go through a couple of these real quick and maybe give some tips for how to handle it. My favorite is how do you find out who you're talking to? That's such a simple thing, but it feels really awkward, right? It does feel really, really awkward. And of course, it happens to people who see perfectly well as well. And as we all know, the longer you leave it, the worse it gets. So do try to speak up right you know, pretty near the beginning with some slight, you know, apologetic phrase. And this depends how much you want to disclose your vision loss. So you could say, you know, I'm just not able to recognize you in this light, or, you know, I'm having real trouble with facial recognition, or, you know, or you could say, which is what I now say after many, many years, I have very little sight and I can't see faces. But, you know, that comes after a lot of practice. It's not wise. It's kind of dangerous to say, I've forgotten your name. Because it could turn out to be some, you know, your close neighbor or something. And they're going to think you're really, really standoffish. But if you can just practice something, having trouble with my eyes, and suddenly people realize why you're not responding to their visual cues and they get more comfortable with you and you're more comfortable. So things kind of proceed more easily once you've sort of admitted that you can't recognize them. And also, if they say that, if you're meeting someone for the first time and they say their name, if you now can't tie the name to the face and the type of body they have, it's good to repeat the name back and ask how to spell it so that it really goes into memory. And, uh, you know, if you really like them, you could ask them to dictate it onto your smartphone or something. Absolutely. So what about that moment when you sort of wish the floor would swallow you up because you realize that you've been talking and you trail off and nobody's saying anything and apparently you've been talking to the air? I know, this is really a killer. It is embarrassing, there's no doubt. Kind of comes with the territory. You need to be listening as you talk and make sure that the person's responding. If you do find you've been left, it's good to say something. You know, oh, he left. Oh. (laughs) Right. People know you know now. (laughs) 
yeah, people know you know, and that that makes it better. And of course, the other one is where you respond, which I do, to a remark intended for someone else. And uh, again, you just acknowledge it. Don't let it lie there because otherwise people might think that you're not aware, you know, just say, oh, sorry. And the conversation moves on. And uh, it's not important, but it feels awful. It does. What about if a conversation catches your attention and you're like, oh, I really have something to jump in there, or this group seems interesting? It can be really awkward to kind of muscle your way into this conversation that's already happening. Are there ways to do that gracefully? This is a tricky one. I, I do think that the most important thing is not to hover on the outskirts. Joining a group who are talking is a visual thing, and it's said to be a complex one. You know, somebody looks up, sees you, makes eye contact, kind of makes a little space in the group. You know, it's all visual. So what you have to do is be bold, which is not the easiest. And uh, it's easier if you have a white cane, if you're ready to carry a white cane. But in any case, you need to walk up, be cheerful and firm and say, do you mind if I join you? My name's Hannah. They probably won't mind. There's no way to do it other than with confidence. All these are really, really helpful tips for navigating things that happen more often than might feel comfortable. But I think the more practice you have, the more likely you are to approach it with, I guess, bravery and more confidence. Yes. And more comfort with where you are in your own journey with vision loss. It feels so alien to begin with. And then gradually you begin to get comfortable with it. And uh, even think that some aspects, you know, you turn into a really good problem solver and a really good listener. Right. Here's one that I don't hear spoken about that much, but it is one that has happened to me on a number of occasions. And I think it happens to others as well. If you have, for whatever reason, gotten to the gathering early, here you are, the host is running around getting all the last minute things done, and there's that feeling of kind of being parked in a corner and you just feel useless and pointless as you sit there and everybody else has something to do. Are there any strategies for figuring out a way that you can contribute and be a part of that preparation before the gathering happens, even if you're in an environment that you don't really want to go running around and knocking things over, but is there still a way that you can contribute and feel like you're a part of things? People with full sight who are feeling a bit nervy and anxious before the gathering begins are very apt to try to park a person with vision loss. It's very, very common because it kind of makes them, the host or whoever, feel comfortable that they've got you dealt with. You know, oh, she's there. But do not allow yourself to get parked unless you're in real pain or, and you know, you really have to say, oh, no, I don't want to sit down. Thanks. And try to find a seat next to the kitchen because the kitchen is often where everything's going on. 
or just stand, not in the entry or you'll be in the way, but kind of just beside it and try to get into the conversation. Be very cheery and admire like crazy. This is to be positive and outgoing, whatever you feel like inside, which can be pretty uncomfortable, but better than getting parked. Now, if you know the host, you could call up and ask about the event, which would be very wise, and then say, could you save me a job? I can count plates. I can roll silverware into napkins. I can put cookies on plates. I can put glasses on trays. You know, just leave me a job or two and I'll sit somewhere and do it. You know, there was a sociologist, a very famous sociologist writing in the 1960s. He said, present yourself in the way you wish to be perceived. What it means is you have to project a positive, cheery image so that then the people who are rushing about will get a bit more chatty and will get a bit more comfortable with you. But you have to get this idea that you have to present yourself as a really more than adequate person who's up to everything and needs to be included because you're worth it. It does take courage uh, to do it, but we all get there in the end because it's the way that works. Absolutely. We've talked a lot about attending gatherings elsewhere. So, you know, other people have invited you somewhere, but maybe you are feeling confident enough to have a gathering in your home. And there's some pluses to that because it's your own environment. You're very familiar with it. But are there things that you can do uh, when you're hosting a gathering just to make sure that everything does run smoothly and to make sure that nobody's kind of stepping in and taking over things that you have well in hand? Yes, good one. Again, you're going to think through the situation. And if you haven't done this for a while, it might be good to start very small. Just invite two or three neighbors or good friends in and put everything you're going to serve on a tray. You could even plug in a coffee maker, put it all on a coffee table or on a side table, everything ready. And then when the doorbell rings, go yourself to greet them and seat them. You know, this is your home. So you need to make it clear that you're in charge here. And again, that's very hard to begin with, but it's your home and you don't need anybody to take over provided you're all prepared. And then if you've seated people, you know where Michelle is sitting and you know where Brian is sitting and so on. And then you invite them to help themselves. So you don't have to do any pouring. Because you're the host and the natural center of the gathering, you don't have to worry too much about the conversation going all about soccer or something or all about the latest movies. And then when you graduate to a slightly bigger gathering, I would have everybody again sitting around the table just like we talked about before. And you prepare everything, keep it really simple, maybe a one-pot meal with some rolls or maybe a chopped salad, and then lay out trays to receive dirty dishes 
And you can either invite people to serve themselves, you've got it all ready, or you can serve them and just ask for one person to help. And you can point out that it's not safe if somebody comes in and interferes. The visual ideas that people have, the ideas they have about blind people carrying hot things or sharp things or things on the stove are only made hazardous by their presence and by their interfering with what you're doing. That's the hazard. You don't want any stray people in your kitchen while you're getting things ready. And then I would tend to, if people would like to stack things, they can. If you're ready to disclose, you could say, you know, if you don't put things where I tell you, there may be a big crash later on. It just depends how comfortable you are. And um, yeah, it is very hard to be to be different. It's really tough. And uh, it takes it does take time to get up this feeling of confidence and firmness and telling others how you how you want things to proceed. Well, for a variety of reasons, people may be attending gatherings, but not in person. So virtual gatherings certainly were instrumental in getting a lot of us through the pandemic. And we're still in that situation. I mean, again, a variety of reasons. Perhaps you all can't be together geographically. Uh, there are health reasons. There are any number of things that would prevent people from being together. I'm wondering if there are things that are specific to virtual gatherings and maybe even some things that are less of a challenge in those environments as opposed to being in person. So do you have tips on things that people haven't thought about if they're attending a virtual gathering and they can do a couple of things to make things easier for themselves? Yes, indeed. I do very much recommend that if a Zoom call and you have some useful vision, you get on your own tablet or your own laptop, because then you can get on the speaker view, which is when you see the person who's speaking right up close. And I can see things that I couldn't see in real life. So that can be a real advantage. Another thing is that if you don't want to be on the screen, you can just do the Zoom as an audio call, and then you can not be visible to the others, even if they can see each other. And that's, that's fine. And you can catch up and you're in your own home and comfortable and it can be quite pleasant. That's fantastic. And I know sometimes it can be a challenge to find virtual gatherings if you're looking for a place to, you know, to go and talk with people. So in our show notes, we'll have links to places that you might go and search for local virtual gatherings, as well as those that are international, because that's kind of the beauty of it is that you can be enjoying that drink and snack with people from all around the world. You certainly can. It's wonderful. That is a real advantage. And you haven't had to work out how you're going to get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no more stressing about transportation. I love that part. <laughs> Also in our show notes, we'll have a link to Hannah's fantastic book, 
when you can't believe your eyes, vision loss, and personal recovery. And you can get that in a number of formats. You can check out the show notes there. Hannah, I'm delighted that you could stop by and share both your own tips and tricks. And I think we all learn a lot along the way. And it's wonderful to be able to kind of share those tips with each other. Yes, it certainly is. And if I were to leave the listeners with one tip, it would be to overcome your reluctance and resistance as soon as you can to getting in touch with a support group or the agency in your area and getting to know a few other people who live with vision loss or very many because it can really be so much fun to be with a group of other people and you know you share stories of what happened and you suddenly you've got a a group of people who who live like you do and think like you do and uh, it is transformative yes (laughs) thank you so much uh, again for sharing your tips and your tricks and just your wisdom with us it's much appreciated Oh, well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here and very, very happy holidays to everyone. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847 784 2870. Thanks for listening. 